you would, please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. For some of you who have not been with us before, whether you're a guest or someone who has been away from us for quite a long time, we have embarked upon a study of the book of Proverbs. And we've been detailing a number of passages which speak to us of the matter of gaining God's wisdom and understanding the wisdom of God as it is presented to us in these precious verses. And in Proverbs chapter 1, we had studied specifically the matter of the warning of wisdom. The warning of wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 2, we have been occupying ourselves with the concept of the work of wisdom. The work of wisdom. That is, the work of gaining wisdom. The hard work that everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ must undergo as they pursue the wisdom that only comes to us from God through His precious book, the Bible. And I've been saying to you over the last two messages that this particular gaining of God's wisdom is a very, very difficult pursuit because it takes everything about us to bring it to us. It's hard work. It takes diligent effort and pursuit on our parts to gain the necessary wisdom from God in order to respond to the temptations and problems and issues of life. I mentioned to you that the first four verses of Proverbs chapter 2 tell us that we are to seek this wisdom with all of our might, with all of our heart. Notice what it says, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures. Very obvious from any cursory reading of those particular verses, that the gaining of God's wisdom only comes if, and that's our key word in that section, if, you pursue it with all of your soul, with all of your being. I mentioned to you that that's the if section of this chapter. If you do this, if you do that, if you keep your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding, if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as you seek silver, and if you search for her as though you were searching for hidden treasures, then you're going to find the knowledge of God. You're going to discover God. You're going to discover the very wisdom that you've been searching for. And that's what's given to us in verses 5 to 11. We called it the then section of this passage. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And on what basis, uh, for whom is this God who gives us this wisdom? Verse 6, for this Lord, Jehovah Lord, Jehovah God, uh, Yahweh, for this kind of Lord, He is the one who gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He's the one who stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is the shield to those who walk in integrity. He is the one who guards the path of justice. He is the kind of God and the only kind of God who preserves the way of His godly ones. You'll discern righteousness and justice and equity, what is right and just and fair, and you'll have wisdom for every good course. Why? Because this kind of God 
who, forget, who gives us this kind of wisdom, He will enter your heart and give you this very knowledge of Himself. And this knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, according to verse 10. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. If you pursue God's wisdom, then you'll receive all of the spiritual booty, all of the richness, all of the, the great stuff that Christians ought to want to have, ought to want to pursue. It can be given to you because you're searching for it with all of your heart. And when God knows your heart, when He's warned you to grasp this wisdom, and when you've fully heard that message, and when you've responded because God's gifted you with the ability to do so, then He will give you all of this because you've searched for it with all your heart, every part of your being. And I mentioned to you last time that what the Lord gives to us are two things primarily in verses 5-11. to One, the protection and knowledge of God. And secondly, a behavior that is blessed by God. God will not only give you protection, He'll not only give you this sound wisdom that you desperately need for trying times, but He'll also change your character. Your very behavior, your life will change. Discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you. Why? So that you can be a person who is just and right and fair in all of your dealings with other people. You're not inconsistent. You're not uh, cutting off the edges. You're not trying to take the path of least resistance. You're bold and you're blessed because your behavior has been changed by God Himself. That's what wisdom is to you. That's what Wisdom can bring to you. That's what you can find. It's a great gift. And you and I have already affirmed that we don't often see people pursuing God's wisdom like this. We see them pursuing a lot of other things, including the pursuit of money, including the pursuit of the silver and the jewels and the precious gold. But we don't often find somebody who's pursuing the kind of wisdom like this passage describes. But if you're able to do that, and you are able because God will make you able, if your heart is to pursue things like this, there's something else for us here that God says He will do for us. And He gives us, in verses 12 to 19, two major illustrations of what God will do to protect us. Two major illustrations that we can relate to very, very well in our Christian lives. The first one, according to verse 12, is to deliver us from the man who speaks perverse things. To deliver us from the man who speaks perverse things. And then in verse 16, the second illustration he gives us is to deliver you from the strange woman, from the foreigner, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. Those are two illustrations that apparently Solomon believes are very, very applicable to the son in whom he is teaching. He is trying to say, son, I want you to know that in addition to what you will receive when you search for God's wisdom with all of your heart is not only the, the knowledge and protection of God, but specifically speaking, God will protect you and give you knowledge against a man who is evil and speaks perverse things, and God will give you the knowledge and the protection and will be able to change your character so that you will be delivered 
from the adulterous woman, from sexual immorality. And in the wise mind of Solomon, who was given that wisdom by God in unparalleled fashion, and you know that, when he prayed to God and asked for wisdom, he, he asked for the kind of wisdom that was God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom, and God was so pleased with that request, he said, I'm going to give it to you as I have never given it to anyone else. And with that kind of wisdom, beloved, Solomon obviously believes that two major illustrations, two major areas of the Christian life, of the believing life, ought to be touched on with individual analogies or illustrations. And one is the man who speaks perverse things, the man who lives an evil life, especially as it comes through his speech, and the adulterous woman, the woman who will tempt you to commit sexual immorality. And that's what he says, God will deliver you from. Did you notice in verse 11, or verse 12, excuse me, he says, to deliver you, and in verse 16, to deliver you. You notice that it's really not the beginning of a sentence. It's really the middle of the sentence. It's really linked right back up to verse 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and verse 10 and 11. It's really saying to us, the then continues. God will guard your paths he will allow you to discern righteousness. He'll preserve your way, according to verse 8. This wisdom will enter your heart. This knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you. you see, that's the continuation of a sentence. It's not the beginning of a sentence. We're in mid-sentence here. And God says, I will give all of these things to you, and I will give them to you so that you can especially withstand the temptation of two major factors in your life. And generally speaking, I think it's safe to say that we all can be very, very helpfully delivered from these two things because we all are tempted by them. We're all tempted to be around people of perverse speech and life, and we're all tempted in this area of our sexuality. And Solomon knows this. And God knows that when He works through Solomon to pen Holy Scripture. And He tells us these are two things, two major things, that believers ought to be delivered from. This is the confidence that you can have that as you gain the wisdom of the Word of God, if you work for it with all of your heart, you can be fortified in your soul against those people are evil and how they try to, to seduce you to evil and how... Sexual immorality can be resisted in the Christian life. Notice what he says regarding this first one. Verse 12. To deliver you from the way of evil. Remember I said to you that the idea of way means pattern of life. Habitual conduct. These really are tracks that people run on. You're either on the track of righteousness or you're on the track of evil. And he says, if you work hard for wisdom, if you pursue it with all of your heart, if your ear is attentive and your heart is inclined, if your, your discernment is being cried out for by, by yourself toward God, and if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek it as silver and you search for it as for hidden treasures, then what will come to you? A deliverance from the track of running on evil. God will give you a way out of it. He'll deliver you from it from the habitual pattern of life that only brings evil things and evil people in your path. You can be delivered from that. 
Is, not, is that not a great word for young people, especially young people in our own congregation? You pursue the wisdom of the Word of God either by your parents or by your pastors or by your church or by the greater body of Christ, books, tapes, materials, radio, television, all of the things that you could beneficially use so that you might be delivered from running for the rest of your life on the track of evil. How many people do we know, whether they are church people or not, whether they grew up in church or not, who are continually running on the track, the way, the habitual pattern of evil? I had someone just before the service began ask me the question related to these Proverbs. When someone reads these Proverbs, when they attempt to, to apply these Proverbs in their life, then they're delivered from evil. How is it that other people who aren't doing this, how don't they understand these things? It's so clear in the Word of God. It's because their heart is inclined toward evil. Their heart isn't inclined to searching for wisdom with all of their soul. But here Solomon says, My son, if you will search in this way, if you'll do the work of wisdom, you'll be delivered from the very pattern of evil itself. The pattern of evil in your life will be broken. And specifically from a man. Notice verse 12. From the man who speaks perverse things. Now, I don't need to say a lot about this because in chapter 1, we spent a great deal of time talking about words, did we not? Words. Words being very, very important. Words may be being the most important component in all of life. Why? Because all of our life is words. All of our life is words. Everything we do is related to words. Almost everything about us is related to words. It's either what we think, those are words, even speaking to ourselves. It's what we say to other people, words coming out of our mouth to other people, and it's words that often give the very essence of our actions, what we think, what we say to ourselves, what we say to other people. Even our actions are related oftentimes to the very words that we speak to other people. They're often a barometer of what is going on on the inside. And God says to us, I can deliver you, if you search for wisdom with all of your heart, I can deliver you from the very track, the way, the pattern of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. Boy, what a gift. What a deliverance. God, you're going to protect me against the man who speaks perverse things? Yes. From those, verse 13, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Do you see ways again? Solomon is not just saying uh, to deliver you from some momentary man who is speaking some kind of evil to you for, for which you can easily and readily and speedily move away from them. He's saying, I can deliver you from the people who live a pattern of evil. You can be delivered from that person. You can be delivered from the person who has left the paths of uprightness to walk in the pattern of darkness. I can deliver you from that kind of person. They don't have to influence you unduly. They don't have to be so present in your life that you're saying to God or others, I cannot get away from them. I have to be extricated from this life, from this evil, from this pattern, and I can't do it, Lord. How many of us have said to ourselves, this sin, this sin, it is ever before me, this temptation. 
what people say, what people do, what my eyes see. It's all around me, and it seems as though it's overwhelming me. I can't respond to it. It's too much for me. God says no. God says that's not true. That's the, that's the parallel, this particular passage, Proverbs 2, maybe even this verse. This is the parallel to that 1 Corinthians 10.13 passage that says, No temptation, no testing has overtaken you, but such as is human, such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. You see, God says to us when we come to Him and say, It's too much for me, Lord. It's too much for me. I can't respond to this. I can't say no. I seem to find myself always in this pattern of saying yes to evil and evil people. And God says on the basis of His own clear, pure word, you can be delivered from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness. You can be delivered from the person who walks in the ways of darkness. Now, having said that, I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was easy. In fact, it's the opposite. It's the hardest thing to do. In fact, it's so hard that what it's going to take on your part is a pursuit of the wisdom of the work of God to such a degree it would be like you're in a mine somewhere working to the point of physical and total exhaustion, mining out the wisdom of the Word of God from this book in order to say no to evil and evil people. That's how hard it's going to be. Have you ever seen those pictures of those miners? who come out of those holes in the earth and they're dirty and grimy and tired. Sometimes you can't see anything else but the whites of their eyes because they're black. They they have this hat on and they may have a little light up here to to help shed some space on the way and they they might be able to, to have the whites of their eyes showing, but otherwise it's just blackness. Otherwise it's just a guy who's in there with his shovel and his pick and he's doing everything he can to, to, to live an honest day's wage. And he's working hard, and he's grabbing that shovel and that pickaxe, and he's doing everything he can to, to do the thing that he's called upon to do, and that's to bring the master, his boss, the stuff, the gold, the goodies. That's what it's like in the Christian life. You don't do that, you may not be delivered from these things. You may be the very person who's saying, I can't do it, it's overwhelming to me, I can't say no to my sin, And that's the reason, because you're not working with all of your heart. This is the work of wisdom. Notice a little bit more about this particular man of perverse things. This is incredible to me, verse 14. Who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. Isn't that an amazing verse? Isn't that an amazing concept? I mean, we as Christians would read a verse like this and say to ourselves, now, wait a minute. And this was the very verse that I think prompted the question that I had this morning before the service. How can someone delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil? I mean, for Christians, we say, no, that's not good. That's not right. That's not best. You you mean somebody not only doing evil, but delighting in doing evil, and and someone who's not even involved in the perversity of evil, but in rejoicing in the perversity of evil. Do you mean to tell me that there are folks out there who are delighting in the doing of evil and rejoicing in the perversity of evil? Yes. 
And they are out there in droves. In fact, so much so that the Bible speaks about this in a couple of different ways. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. You might not have linked these verses together with each other, but there is a there is an evil in our world. Not just people who are doing unkind things to people, either Christians or other non-Christians. Not just doing unkind things, but doing dastardly things. Heinous things. Wretched things. Does September 11th come to mind? Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Listen to this. And although these people, that's the they of verse 32, these haters of God and those who don't care for God, those who hate God, they know the ordinance of God. They know what the Word of God says. And although they know the ordinance of God, we might even be able to slip in there, and although they either know of those who work hard at gaining wisdom, those who, who are really working hard at knowing the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but listen to this, and also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Hearty approval. Isn't that incredible? Hearty approval. Hip, hip, hooray for evil. Do it again. Smash them again. Hit them again. Shoot them again. Stab them again. Bravo! Hearty approval. And we don't know exactly what's being referred to here other than just a general attaboy for those who are doing evil. Go for it again. Do it again. We give you hearty approval. And then notice this, 1 Peter chapter 4. This is an incredible anatomy of perversity. 1 Peter chapter 4. It's sort of a cross-reference to Romans 1.32 and Proverbs 2. It says in 1 Peter 4.3, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles that is, those pagans, those who are evil, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And then notice this, 1 Peter 4, 4, In all this, they, the pagans, are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of drunkenness or dissipation, and they malign you. They're surprised that you don't run with them. They're, they're surprised that you don't want to be involved in all of that evil that was just listed. Lusts and drunkenness and carousing and drinking parties. They're surprised by it all. Why doesn't Charlie come around anymore? Why doesn't Fred involve himself in our parties anymore? I'm surprised by that. Wasn't he having fun? Weren't we pursuing the great life? Weren't we having a ball? Drinking? carousing, waking up with a massive hangover. Wasn't it great? I'm just surprised they're not here. And when they come around and they're all doing it together and they're involved in the perversity of their evil, there are those in the grandstands clapping, giving hearty approval to those who are involved in the perversity of evil. And that's exactly what Solomon says here who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. Why do they do that? 
What's in their heart? What's going on? Verse 15, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. That's the answer. They're crooked. They're crooked. And lest we immediately say, well, how terrible, how wretched, how evil. Does not the Apostle Paul say, and such were some of you? And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were cleansed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Yeah, they, they malign us. And there's every temptation to malign them. I guess that's why Paul says even to Titus, look, it may be true that there are some of those who do those things. But guess what? We used to do those things too. Titus chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. You see, we're just like that. If Jesus Christ hadn't come into our life, if He hadn't regenerated us, given us a place on a right path, given us a way out, then we'd be just like these. See, they're not, they're, they're not our enemy. They are our targets, but not our enemy. We're to pursue them. You say, well, it looks to me like you just said we're to be away from them. We're to be delivered from them. Delivered from their sinfulness that tempts us to be sinful. But we're not delivered from trying to reach them. We're not to delight in what they're doing, the doing of evil. We're not to rejoice in the perversity of what evil they're perpetrating. And we're not supposed to be evil ourselves. And we are delivered from that. But we look to them and we reach out to them because their paths are crooked. And God wants to use us as instruments to bring a crooked path to a place of being a straight path. And the people who are devious to a place of being not devious, but being sensitive, sweet and kind and loving. Well, this is a great deliverance, beloved. Great deliverance. This is tremendous deliverance. You want to be delivered from the way of evil? From the man who speaks perverse things? From those who leave the paths of righteousness? To walk in the ways of darkness, the tracks of darkness, delighting in doing evil, rejoicing in the perversity of evil, lives who are crooked, ways that are devious. Work. Work hard. And if we were to think that that was enough, enough work, enough challenge, enough heartache, enough pursuit, he says there's one more, and maybe the more important, verse 16 to deliver you from the strange woman. Not strange because she's strange, from someone who is outside the house of Israel. That's what it's talking about. Someone who's outside the house of Israel. Of the strange woman, the foreigner, the non-Jew. From the adulteress who flatters with her words that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death 
and her tracks. You see it there, the way, the pattern, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths, the tracks of life. This is the second illustration that God promises for those who work at gaining wisdom can be delivered from. To deliver you, He says. And it's not just the perverse man who speaks evil, who's on crooked paths, who's devious in his ways, but it's also personified in a woman who is enticing you to do evil sexually with her. You know, it's interesting to me that the very words that are used here, strange woman, leaving the companion of her youth, forgetting the covenant of her God, house sinking down to death, tracks leading to the dead, not reaching the paths of life, all of those are very, very negative terms, aren't they? Very negative terms. I mean, terms that are designed to teach us that we shouldn't even want to be within one inch of such a person. We want to be delivered from that person in a big-time way. We want to be a hundred miles from a person like that. But guess what? Look at verse 16. She flatters with her words. Words again. And guess what? Those flattering words are so enticing. So enticing. You say, how enticing? Well, look at the immorality in the world. Just look at it. All we have to do is look at it, and we can see how enticing it is. This particular analogy, by the way, of the adulteress is a major theme, not just in Proverbs, but throughout the entire Bible. And it has, of course, both a physical and a spiritual dimension. The physical dimension, of course, is physical sexual immorality. And we're supposed to be delivered from that as believers. But this, I think, is also an underpinning of another kind of reality, and that is spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. And certainly the, the prophets of the Old Testament, the prophets of Israel, continually said, this is what is happening to faithless Israel. This is what is happening. She has gone after foreign gods, you see, outside of the true God, the God of Israel. And she, Israel, has pursued these foreign gods. I think there's a hint of that right here. This is what I want to deliver you from, son, physically and spiritually. But oh, it's going to be tough. The temptation is going to be great, son, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. This is exactly what was happening to Israel. And Solomon knew this, and this was a ringing theme. In fact, I want you to turn to Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, and I want you to see something that's very, very remarkable. This is maybe just one text that proves the point of what I'm saying. God, of course, was chastising and condemning Israel for her unfaithfulness. And in Hosea chapter 2, listen to verse 12. I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages. Aha! Working. Working. The work of what they're doing. And what kind of work are they pursuing? Is it the work of pursuing the wisdom of the Word of God? Is it pursuing wisdom from God as though they're pursuing the kinds of gold and silver and precious stones that Proverbs 2 talks about? Not on your life. Look at it. These are my wages which my lovers have given me. 
and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field will devour them. Notice verse 13. I will punish her, God says, for the days of the Baals, the Baals, the foreign gods, when she used to offer sacrifices to them and adorn herself with her earrings and jewelry and follow her lovers so that she forgot me, declares the Lord. And by the way, that word forgot, notice verse 17 of Proverbs 2. This kind of adulterous woman, she leaves the companion of her youth. That means that she's forsaken her husband that she married at her youth and she forgets the covenant of her God. It doesn't mean that she forgot the law. It means that she is ignoring it, disobeying it. This, this is an amazing passage, beloved, because what it's saying is whether you're involved in physical sexual immorality or spiritual immorality because you have not pursued the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of true Christianity, you are committing spiritual adultery and you have been flattered with somebody else's words. You've left the companion of your youth. In other words, you should be married to God because He's the one crea who created you and instead you've forgotten, you've disobeyed, you've ignored the covenant God says, I created you, I'm your Lord, you should submit to me and be under my lordship. And you say, I may acknowledge that you created me, but I'm sure not going to live under your lordship. I have my own life. I think that's what's going on here. And then notice the consequences, verse 18. For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. Departed spirits. Those who grabbed the gusto in this life pursued their own course, didn't pursue the tracks of righteousness, but pursued their own tracks, the tracks of evil, and they were so flattered with the words of the adulteress, they didn't realize the full consequences of their evil, having left the companion of their youth, having forgotten and ignored the very covenant of the Creator God, and they realized, but only too late, that their house has now sunk to death. And the very path that they trod has now led to their own death. And then the chilling verse 19. None who go to her, this adulteress, none who go to her return again. No second chances. No second options. Ten commandments, not ten suggestions. Nor do they reach the paths of life. Heavenly life. Righteous life. Blessed life. We're going to talk, by the way, about the adulteress much in Proverbs. The whole of five, Proverbs 5, a section of six, the whole of seven and a portion of nine, all designed to talk about sexual morality. Why? Why so much? Because it seems to be so big, number one on people's lists. And that's why Solomon says, I'm telling you, my son, this is a biggie. This is a biggie. 
This might be number one for you. And God can deliver you from this because you're pursuing the work of wisdom. And then notice the choices in verses 20 to 22. So, and by the way, that's not the beginning of a sentence again. This is all one unit. So, if you pursue the work of wisdom, if you do that, if you search for this wisdom as you search for hidden treasures, so if you do that, you will walk in the way of good men, righteous men, upright men, and you will keep to the paths, the tracks of the righteous. That's the choice. That's the choice all of us have. This is the reward. This is the way it will be if you walk in that way. And the upright, verse 21, you'll live in the land. That means you'll have blessing. That means you'll have honor. That means you'll have a place. And the blameless will remain in it. Oh, I love that. The blameless will remain in it. Now, whether this is talking about a a physical blessing from the land, the land of Israel, or just the fact that you'll have a longer life, or the fact that you'll have blessing in your life no matter where you live, in what land you may trod, and no matter how long your life may be, the bottom line is this, you'll be upright and you'll be blameless no matter what. That's the choice. Or, verse 22, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. I wish we had time. Maybe later on as we see some other passages that speak about the land. There's, an, there's a very amazing aspect to the issue of the physical land of the people of God. Do you know that there are times where God indicts people who sin, like sexual immorality, like not tending to the poor, like moving the widows out of their security, taking their money, stealing from people, all of those kinds of sins. And there are multitudes of passages in the Old Testament especially that say, if you as a people do these things, then guess what's going to happen? And I believe sometimes he's even saying, guess what's going to happen even to you physically in the land? You'll be removed, judged, chastised. And even in some cases, you remember when Cain killed his brother Abel and did not God say, the ground is crying. Why? Because man was created from the dust of the ground and to the dust he shall return. There is some kind of link, my friends, some kind of link between the physical land and physical human beings. And when that is violated on one side or the other, God is not pleased. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. Boy, that's a that's the way to end this chapter. That's, that's the way to end this three-message series on Proverbs chapter 2. This is the choice. The choice is, do you want to walk in the way of good men? Do you want to keep to the paths of the righteous? Do you want to be an upright, righteous person who will live in the land? Do you want to be the blameless one who will remain in it? Or do you want the choice of being like the wicked who will be cut off and the treacherous who will be uprooted, maybe even physically speaking. Maybe It may even be that God says to any one individual at any one moment, that's it, you're gone, and He blots you out from the actual physical presence you had on this earth. Guess what? September 11th. There were some people in those towers who no doubt had shaken their fist in the face of a holy God 
and he had give, given them every response of an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ, and they refused, and they refused, and they did not want, want to walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous, and so God said, I'm cutting you off from the land. Maybe not the land of Palestine, but the land, the earth, your existence. Why? Because they were treacherous. And he says, I'll uproot you from it. This is the choice, my friend. This is a message which says, Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And it is incumbent, it is imperative upon everyone, everywhere, as Paul says in the book of Acts, to repent and to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He says, I command everyone everywhere to repent and to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the choice. And the one who does that will be said to be good, righteous, upright, and blameless. And the one who refuses will be wicked and treacherous, cut off and uprooted. That's the choice for every one of us. This is how you take an Old Testament passage and you overlay it right onto the gospel message and you say, Jesus Christ is calling every one of us, if He's not already called you, to a place of faith and repentance in Him and Him alone. This is the choice. This is what God has called us to live. This is what God has called us to do. This is the work of wisdom. And the only way that you can be delivered in this way, either from the man of perverse evil or the woman of spiritual or physical adultery, is to place your entire soul, your entrusting of your entire life upon the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can deliver us. This very word, by the way, deliver, that's the concomitant of the New Testament sozo, to be saved. To, to be given salvation, to be given deliverance. It's here, beloved. It's right here. This is the work of wisdom, and this is the reward of the work of wisdom. While your heads are bowed, I would like for each of you to ask yourself the question, am I right with Jesus Christ? Am I right with Him? Do I know Him? Am I related to Him in a, in a deliverance sense, in a salvation sense? Am I saved? Am I on my way to heaven? Regardless of what happens to me on this earth, am I upright? Am I blameless? Or am I devious, and treacherous, and wicked? Oh, Father, Father, bring us to a place of deliverance, salvation. This is, this is the choice. This is what You've called all men to decide. And we cannot decide on our own. We need Your Spirit. We need Your grace. We must have Your mercy. And oh, Father, I pray that the choice that has been preached would be the commitment that is made to righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, that He died, that He was buried, that He was raised again. And that our souls are trusting only in Christ. Oh, may it be so, Lord.
I pray that you would do this very day what only you can do. We cannot manufacture our own deliverance. Only you can bring it to us. And I pray that you would bring it to those within my hearing who would acknowledge this very morning at this point I'm separated from Christ. I don't have this intimacy with Christ you've been speaking of. I, I don't have this deliverance. I must have it. Please give it to me. Please be gracious to me, a sinner. You can have it today. It can be granted to you. If you would but repent, turn around from your life by asking that Jesus Christ be your atonement, your forgiveness, your deliverance. Fathers, we conclude this worship portion of our service. May every ear and eye be attentive to gaining this wisdom. In Christ's name, amen.